We are in a new sermon series uh, entitled Remarkable, three and a half years that changed everything. If you're new to the church or maybe haven't been here yet in the new year, uh, we are spending uh, or starting off, I should say, 2018 by fixing our eyes and fixing our minds, fixing our hearts on Christ. And my hope in this series and my prayer for you all has been that as we walk through the book of Mark together, one of the four gospels, that you will be amazed, that you will be astonished, that you will be astounded that you will be every other A synonym word that I can think of. Uh, You will be that when it comes to Jesus. So easy to become so familiar with the story or for it to become so commonplace for us. But my hope is that you would truly see him as remarkable. That's what we're trying to do in and through the series. So here we go, uh, week two. Most people, uh, even if they're not huge sports fans, I imagine love to hear about or watch or at least witness a great upset a time when the team with this enormous payroll upsets the team with that tiny market, right? Small market payroll. Or the time when that big name loses to the no name. Or a time uh, when the, the huge, highly favored team just falls so hard. Over the years, I have seen my fair share of upsets. These are a few that immediately came to mind. I remember uh, distinctly being on the couch with my dad, watching Mike Tyson lose to Buster Douglas, a no-name boxer. And I remember crying hysterically because I loved Mike Tyson. I loved him dearly, and that day my my dreams and my hopes were crushed. Thanks, Mike. Uh, I remember years later watching Holly Holm uh, knock out Ronda Rousey with a kick to the head. And I remember distinctly cheering hysterically because... Holly's actually a friend of ours from Albuquerque. That was a huge upset that nobody saw coming. And then I remember watching the Giants beat the Patriots in Super Bowl 46. I just love saying beat the Patriots. I don't care who, right? Just. But that probably, if you think about it, would have gone down as the single greatest season in all of sports history, a completely undefeated NFL season. No, it all came crashing down when David Tyree caught that ball against his head. And I remember in that moment, jumping up and down at an apartment at one of my best, one of my, with one of my best friends at the time, we were jumping up and down and we were rubbing each other's bald heads. We just didn't know what to do. He was this big black guy and I was this short little white guy. We were just rubbing each other's bald heads. It was, it was a great day. Huge upset. I don't don't know about you, and I don't know why, but there's just something so satisfying, isn't there, in watching this powerhouse that has prevailed for so long finally meet its match. It's just great to see an upset. And that's exactly how I would describe what happens next for us in the book of Mark. You see, after Jesus is announced and then baptized by a guy named John the baptizer, uh, after he's led into the desert, and after he uh, calls and invites the disciples to be a part of this amazing ministry, this amazing mission that he is about to uh, partake in, after all of those things in the first part of chapter one, we read this, second part of Mark chapter one. If you have a Bible, open it there. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. 
At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away, so he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. Continuing on, verse 40, after that, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you could heal me. You can make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared, and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, uh, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. The end of Mark chapter 1. The entire book of Mark, if you really think about it, and especially this section in chapter 1, it kind of reads like or feels like a sports center highlight reel. Any other sports center fans out there? I just love watching me a good sports center because it takes away all the mumbo jumbo and all the downtime and it just shows you the best of the best. There's no commercial interruptions, there's no timeouts, it's just highlights. That's what the book of Mark is doing for us, especially here at the end of chapter 1. I mean, think about this. In just 20 chapters or 20 verses or so, Jesus does several amazing things. First, he heals a demon-possessed man. Then he heals a woman with a dangerously high fever. Following that, he heals a man with leprosy. And this is like back to back to back. Boom, 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 boom. Highlight after highlight after highlight. And each of these healings, it's incredibly significant in and of itself. I wish we had time. We could just dissect and dive into each one of the stories individually. But I want to look at them collectively. Because I think when you look at all of them as one, it's trying to show us something even more profound than when you look at each one individually. Each of these healings, when, when taken as a whole, I think is a direct attack. It's a direct affront to the stronghold of Satan in our world. All of these healings are a direct attack against the stronghold of Satan in our world. Let me explain that. There's a reason in John chapter 12 that Satan is called the ruler of this world. That's exactly the title that Jesus gives to him. Why would he say that? Well, if you just look out at the world, the evening news, the morning paper, even our own experiences in the world, Satan's had a pretty good run, has he not? Satan's had a lot of influence in a negative sense. He's, he's had a heyday, if you will, in this world. I want you to think about this. Every disease is a result of sin and Satan. Every fractured relationship is because of sin and Satan. Every corrupt system can be traced back to sin and Satan. Every time something or someone dies, it's ultimately because of sin and Satan. It's as if Satan is this undefeated, undisputed, heavyweight, evil champion of the world. He just does whatever he wants, whenever he wants. No one in all of history since the Garden of Eden has been able to thwart his power has been able to stop him or overpower him. And for as long as many of us can remember, we've just kind of had to deal with it, right? 
And we even in the church, we say something like that. Well, you know, we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken, sinful world. Just kind of how it is. We've almost accepted that he's the champion. Satan is the champion, and there's nothing we can do about it. But then one day, out of nowhere, this, this no-name carpenter from this town no one had really ever heard of before, this, this peasant carpenter, uneducated, right, with, with a family background that was a little shady to say the least. He's nothing special, and yet he comes onto the scene, and suddenly he shakes everything up. This carpenter, this man, this Jesus, has the audacity to come into Satan's world and stand up to him and say, your winning ways are over. This guy right here. This guy comes in to Satan's playground and says, no, 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 no. No more. You will no longer have authority in this place. So I said the word audacity. It's not audacity. Mark said it's authority. Do you notice how many times that word authority is in Mark chapter 1? You're going to see it now throughout the whole entire book. Jesus has authority. It says at first the people were amazed because he spoke with such authority. This would be like if you had a subject in school that you just struggled with for so long. For me, it was like chemistry. I could just never grasp chemistry. Like, what are you talking about? And you have one teacher after another, it's just confusing, confusing. But then all of a sudden you have this one teacher, and they just, they just help you make sense of it all. Have you ever had that experience? Like, this is so easy to get because of how you're telling me about it, because of how you're describing it. That's how it must have been with Jesus uh, multiplied over by a hundred times. We don't really understand the law. We don't really understand God. But suddenly when Jesus comes in and starts talking about him, like, oh, we get it now. His words had such authority. But he didn't just speak authority. Mark goes on to say he shows that he has authority. It's not just in his words that he has authority. Jesus backs it up with all these actions and all these healings and all these miracles. I love it. I don't know what this would sound like in Greek, but Jesus comes in in this moment and he says, Satan, you have met your match. That's what these three healings are showing us. I'll take a look at the screen real fast for me. This is how evil manifests itself in the book of Mark here at the end of chapter one. Three different ways. Spiritual attacks, physical ailments, and relational alienation. I just want you to look at those for just a second. Spiritual attacks, physical ailments, and relational alienation. These have been Satan's go-tos since the garden. These are like the three trump cards that he can play in any and every moment and all of a sudden just wreck the whole situation. You with me? This is what he does best. And here Jesus comes in at the end of Mark chapter one. He's like, the three things that you do best, I'm going to undo because I have authority over you, Satan. I have authority over these three areas, and no longer will you be sitting as the champ in these areas. Jesus has come. Jesus has come to overthrow him. And this had to feel like the greatest upset in all of history, right? I mean, this carpenter going head to toe or, or toe to toe with, with, with Satan himself. I mean, this is crazy. At the time, this must have looked like an upset of all upsets. Like Satan, Satan, come on. The, 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 the power of darkness and sin is being undermined by this little carpenter? That's why the text says everybody was asking, who the heck is this guy? We've never seen anything like this. No one's ever defeated Satan. So let's talk about these three things just for a few minutes together because chances are, as you look at that list, chances are you haven't experienced the victory in one of those areas in quite some time. Chances are you, you desperately need a victory. 
in one of those areas. So let's see how Jesus can bring that about. The first thing Jesus does in this text is heal a man who's possessed by a demon. Now, we aren't 100% sure exactly what that meant or what that looked like or how they knew this to be true. Uh, maybe it was an extreme mental health issue like schizophrenia. Maybe this guy talked to himself. Maybe he acted crazy out in public. Maybe he just shouted things and didn't have any sort of sensor or filter through which he interacted with people. But whatever the details, whatever it looked like, there was evil controlling this man's heart, controlling this man's life. And when the evil sees Jesus... It knows that it's time, it's run at ruining this man, it's come to an end, right? The evil presence or the evil spirit all of a sudden is on the defensive. He's been on the offensive for so long, tearing this man's life apart. But when Jesus shows up, the demon's caught off guard. He's like, whoa, what are you doing here? I didn't expect to see you. Then he starts making a scene. He starts throwing out all these crazy claims. And I love Jesus' response. Literally in the original language, Jesus says, shut up. It's an extreme reprimand. He says, you be quiet and you come out of him. Don't you love that? Talk about authority. Shut up and come out of him. Evil has been directing and dictating this man's life, but that all changes the day that Jesus comes into his life. Think about that. So in this moment, Jesus proves to us that he has authority over every spiritual attack or every spiritual force that we will ever face. I want you to really soak that in for a second. Jesus, he has authority, power, dominion, control over every spiritual attack that you will ever face. And that should come as really, really good news to most of us because chances are we're probably in the middle of a pretty serious attack right now. We don't like to call it that. We like to think that we're a little too educated, right? Or a little too smart to call it spiritual warfare or, or spiritual attack. But let's be honest, guys. You know that, that lie you keep believing that you're just not good enough? That you're just not pretty enough? That you're just not talented enough? You know that thing you keep saying to yourself that you just, you just messed up too badly in the past? That you could never be used again in the future because you just have too much mistake in the past? You know that struggle you have with that bottle of pills? You know that struggle you have with that beautiful woman at work? You know that battle that you face every day to get out of bed and not succumb to depression? You know that battle you face to forgive your abuser or to be nice to that person you just hate? You know what that is? That's called a spiritual attack. Let's just call it what it is. All of that is a spiritual attack. That's the enemy and evil raging war within you. Some call it negative self-talk, negative self-esteem, cognitive dissonance, mental health issues. Let's, let's just call it what the Bible calls it, a spiritual attack on your heart, a spiritual attack on your mind, an evil presence trying to, to live and control you, live in and control you. And Jesus comes, and he's the only one who can rebuke that evil spirit and pull it out of you. And don't, don't we need Jesus to show up and tell a few things in our life to shut up? Man, I need, I need Jesus to come and be like, Thomas, what, just, just that, that whole situation there, just, just shut up, enough, come out of him. And so we're going to ask Jesus this morning, would you come into our life, would you rebuke and remove these things that are, that are tearing us apart? The text says that the man convulsed a little bit when the evil spirit left him, and so as you're in one of these battles, don't be surprised if it hurts a little bit. Don't be surprised if there's some pain and some anguish as, you're, as these things are being kind of taken out of you and taken away from you. 
But I want you to ask yourself a couple questions this morning. What demons are you facing right now? What demons in your life right now are just holding you down, holding you back? Are these demons, are they literal? Are they symbolic? Are they physical? Are they mental? How are they manifesting themselves? In what ways is evil trying to tear you down or tear you apart? Is it lies? Is it lust? Is it fears? Is it your failures? If Jesus were to come into your life, would he say, man, you are being possessed right now by this evil spirit, and it's got to come out of you. So we're going to ask him at the end of the service to, to remove any of those things from our lives that might fall into this category. Let's move on to number two. Another area where Jesus has ultimate authority and where he wants to give us victory is in the realm of physical ailments. The text tells us that after Jesus uh, healed this demon-possessed man, they went to the home of Simon Peter, one of his original 12 disciples. And as they enter the house, the text says that Peter's mother-in-law was found to be really ill with this high-level, high-degree fever. Now, I'm sure some of the disciples, probably Thomas, uh, took that moment to make a really bad, corny mother-in-law joke, right? Something like, oh, don't, just don't say that. But anyway, after the joke was over, Jesus moves over to the mother-in-law. It says he kneels down beside her, he takes her hand, and he lifts her up. As he does so, the fever immediately is removed, so much so that she's up serving within just a matter of minutes. Now, I don't know about you, but being under the weather with a high-level fever, isn't that just one of the worst feelings ever? I can distinctly remember several times in my life having this fever that was so high. I was wrapped up in so many levels of clothing, so many blankets, yet I was still shivering so much on the bed or even on the floor. I couldn't even get up off the floor to get into my bed. Or on the flip side, sweating so profusely that you just thought, I'm going to lose all my water weight, all my body weight right now because it's going to all come out and sweat. A fever is so debilitating, is it not? And imagine a fever in a society where there's no Tylenol, there's no Advil. There's no help. There's no ibuprofen of any kind. So this fever was going to take this woman down. It could, it could possibly even be a death sentence. And yet here Jesus comes in and completely heals the woman of the fever. He removes the illness that was paralyzing her. She wasn't experiencing life in the way that God had fully intended for her to experience it. And so Jesus comes in and says, Satan, no more. You're not going to have a, a victory in this area any longer. You're not going to win in this woman's life any longer. And so he comes and he heals her physically. And I believe he has the power to do the very same thing today. We don't have time to go through everything the Bible says about uh, healings or miraculous uh, physical situations or whatnot, medical marvels, but just based on this text alone, Jesus has authority over our bodies. Jesus has authority over the illnesses that might try to come in and tear apart our bodies. He can cleanse us. He can remove anything that is taking us down or tearing us apart. Now, I love this. In the story that we just read, Mark chapter 1, Jesus heals the woman by touching her hand. He reaches out and embraces her. In other stories that we're going to read, Jesus will use different means to heal people. In one situation, he uses a pool. In one situation, he uses some spit. So he uses different things. So don't stop taking your medicine. Don't stop going to the doctor because Jesus might use those things to heal you. But the fact is he can heal you. We have to know that Jesus has authority over our health, over our bodies, over our physical well-being. See, I believe Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means he still has authority in this area, which means what he did back then, he can do for us right now. He hasn't changed. His authority and power haven't changed. His desire for you to be healthy and strong has not changed. 
So whatever physical issue you are facing right now, whatever physical limitation is holding you back, talk to Jesus about it. Let him know about it. Tell him you would love for him to do something about it. I don't care if it's stage four cancer or a, or a little cough that you have. I don't care if it's something that can be treated with a little Tylenol or something the doctors say we can't treat. Ask God to take away whatever physical ailment is present in your life. We're going to do that at the end of service together. Now, you got to hear me out. This is not a foolproof prayer. This is not a guarantee. Because unlike Peter, I had to bury my mother-in-law several months ago because she didn't get better. Because the prayer wasn't answered the way we had hoped. And it's hard for us, isn't it, in those moments to know what to do. But let me just say this. If Jesus does not heal your body or the body of somebody you love dearly, you have to know the sheer fact that he can, the sheer fact that he has, means there must be a reason he's not. I'm going to say that again because I worked all week on that one. You have to know the sheer fact that he can and the sheer fact that he has. Mark chapter 1 is not a fairy tale. It is a historically documented moment. The man was healed physically. So because Jesus has, because Jesus can, must mean if he's not, there's a reason. It's not because he's unable. It's not because he's incapable. It's not because he doesn't have authority over cancer like he did over fevers. He has authority. Always has, always will. So if he's not, there must be a reason. That's what Paul's struggle was, wasn't it? Father, take away this, this burden that I have. Many think Paul was wrestling with the physical deformity of some sort of physical ailment. And he says, take away my thorn in the flesh, he called it. And what did God say? He said, no, I'm not going to take it away because my perfection's coming out in your weakness. And I'm doing something through your disease. But I believe Jesus can heal people. I, I believe it with all my heart. He can heal us of anything and everything. The story with so many others, it just proves it to us. So if he's not, he must have something else in mind. But at the end of service today, we're gonna to give you an opportunity to pray with some folks and to say, Lord, would you just take away whatever physical ailments are dragging me down? We know you have authority. And this physical ailment has been the Super Bowl champion for as long as I can remember in my life. And I would love for an upset. I'd love for there to be an upset. Third and final, then we'll be done. The last thing that Jesus comes to give us victory over and, and heal us of is relational alienation. And this is seen in and through the cleansing of the leper. So first we have this, this demon-possessed man and he's healed. That shows us that spiritual attacks are no match for Jesus. And then, then a woman with a really high fever, a physical ailment comes to Jesus. And again, no match for Jesus. And third and finally is this leper who comes to Jesus. We're like, oh man, I bet Jesus has finally met his match on this one. See, because leprosy, wow, I mean, it's just so hard for us to even fathom what it was like, how disgusting, how detrimental it was in that society. I was trying to think about this past week. We've had some Ebola scares over the years, haven't we? That whole like West Nile virus thing. Was it that hauntavirus with the mice for a little while? But it's like, oh, this is so scary. You have no idea what an uncontrollable disease like leprosy looks like or feels like. Leprosy was a skin disease, for those of you who aren't aware of it, that included rashes, boils, blisters, and in the worst cases, the rotting away of your limbs. It was very contagious, and it was always connected to contamination. 
You see, in addition to the physical torment of this disease, the worst part was probably the relational torment. Somebody who was diagnosed with leprosy, they were literally banished from the community. As soon as you discovered that you had it, you would literally, if, if it was in our situation right now, you would have to move to Elizabeth out by the airport. I mean, imagine that. Imagine if today you discover or you find you have, you have stage two cancer and the first thing you have to do before even seeking medical attention of any kind, you have to literally pack your bags and move to a little shanty town out in Elizabeth. I mean, that'd be crazy, wouldn't it? And then if you ever decide to come back into town for any reason, you have to remain 50 paces, not just 50 steps, 50 paces from the, from the next closest person. So I just think, I don't even know how, how big the stage was. Let's just see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 19, 20, 21, 22. All right, let's say 25 paces. You had to remain double this distance from another person. And then let's say you happen to cross within that, that, that 50 pace limit. You would have to yell out, unclean. I'm unclean over here. You need to stay back there so you don't get what I have. I mean, think about the alienation these people must have been experiencing and feeling. The worst part, though, must have been the alienation from God because, you see, that 50 pace rule, it also applied to the temple. You couldn't come within 50 paces of the church. You couldn't come within 50 paces of a pastor. You couldn't come within 50 paces of a priest. You couldn't offer a sacrifice. So here it is, this situation where they believe you are sick because you are really sinful and now we're going to banish you and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, this is about the worst of the worst situations, is it not? These people are alienated from their family, their friends, their community of faith, and they're alienated from God. God must be really mad at me. God must be punishing me for some reason and I will never make things right with him. I'm just incapable of doing that. Wow. And so here in Mark chapter 1, this leper comes in. He's breaking all the rules. Do you see that? He's supposed to keep his distance, but what is he doing? He's drawing near. He's supposed to yell out when he gets close to people, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. But what's he doing? He's saying, Jesus, please, please make me clean. You have the power to make me clean. He says, I love this line. If you are willing, you can make me clean. We're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. But this idea that faith, it's, it's this thin line between belief and doubt, isn't it? In some places, I believe with all my heart. In other places, I'm like, I don't even know if you're real right now, God. That's how this man is feeling in this moment. I know you can heal, but I don't know if you will heal me, is what he's saying. I believe in your power. I'm just not so sure I believe in your goodness. Oh, what a line that is. Some texts say, in addition to Jesus, uh, or I forget exactly what line it was, but he was indignant. I don't know what verse specifically, but that word, it might even say indignant in your Bibles. He was mad, not mad at the man for breaking the rules. He was mad at Satan for breaking this man's life apart, for separating him relationally from everyone. And so it says that he heals him. Scripture says he reaches out and touches the man. What a moment that must have been like. Maybe, maybe it was something like this. I don't know, watch it.
I'm clean. I'm clean. I'm clean. You see, chances are this man hasn't been touched in 10, 20, maybe even 30 years. He's had to remain ostracized from everyone for so long, probably as long as he can remember. And this moment Jesus touches him. He embraces him. First time in forever. I love that. You see, Satan had chalked this man up as another victory. And Jesus comes in and says, no, 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 I have authority over relational alienation. I have authority over anything that will separate you from other people, from your friends, from your family. I have power and authority over that which will separate you from God. And when Jesus touches him, he's instantly rescued. Now, Mark chapter one, we read about some interesting instructions that Jesus gives after the fact. He's like, okay, now don't tell anybody. You gotta go see the priest. You gotta do this, that, and the other. What he's trying to do there is he's saying, hey, you gotta jump through a couple of hoops right now so you can go back with your family. Society is gonna demand proof of this healing. And I don't wanna just heal you. I wanna bring you back with everyone you've ever been alienated from. And so go to the priest, offer a sacrifice, get a certificate of healing. That way you can be back. You can be reunited with everyone that Satan has tried to cut you off from. So the text teaches us that Jesus has authority over relational alienation. So let me ask you a couple more questions. Spend some time thinking about these. Are you estranged from anyone right now? Are you estranged from a family member? Or maybe your entire family? Do you feel at odds right now with a sibling or a parent? Are you in the middle of a battle with your spouse? Or do you feel like you're totally disconnected from your spouse? Maybe worse, do you feel separated from God in this moment? Do you feel like something you have done in the past has separated you? He must just be punishing you right now. I don't know what your relational alienation might look like or feel like, but I want Jesus to heal you of it. I want him to come into your life like he did the lepers and say, no, I'm gonna bring that thing back together. I don't care how long Satan has had a victory in your life in this area, I want to bring it back together. And even this week, I won't give names or details, but I've had some friends speak of some pretty cool reunions with family members that they were estranged from for a very, very long time. But somehow Jesus was able to bring them back. Don't you love that? It's possible. It's possible for you. So Satan, well, he had a good run. He really did. But it's time for an upset. And Jesus came with the greatest upset, I think, of all time. I'm gonna invite the band back up. And like I said, we're gonna spend a few minutes uh, praying together over these three things. Spiritual attacks, physical ailments, or relational alienation. Again, look at that list. Is anything in that or on that list, something that you are really dealing with right now and wrestling with. If so, uh, I'm gonna be down front. I'm gonna ask Scott Abel, feel there are ministers to be down front. Stephen ministers, would you be in the back or along the side uh, for prayer? We're just gonna pray over these three things as the band leads this in this song. Uh, Tyson, uh, Ronda Rousey, uh, 46 Super Bowl, whatever. Those were great upsets, were they not? A carpenter overthrowing Satan himself. That's quite the upset. You experiencing freedom from a spiritual attack, oh, that'd be a great upset today, wouldn't it? You being reunited with somebody you're disconnected from, that'd be a great upset. You experiencing freedom from a physical burden, that'd be a great upset. I want you to experience it today. I'm gonna end with these words. In Mark 3, Jesus says, in order to overthrow a strong man, in order to enter into a strong man's house and take what is the strong man's, you have to be stronger, right? 
And so Jesus owned those people who were in spiritual attacks. He owned those people with physical ailments. And he owned those people who were relationally alienated from others. He owned them. He was the strong man. And Jesus says the only way you can be freed from that is for someone stronger to come in and take you out. You are not stronger than the strong man. You are not stronger than those three things. I guarantee it. And so ask Jesus, the stronger man, to come in and help you with these three things. Let me pray for us. And again, ministers down front, ministers in the back, if you need any prayers for any of these, any of these things, uh, just come down. Please, we'll pray over you. God, thank you so much for Jesus. It just looks as if Satan was gonna rule and reign over this world forever and ever. Looked like he was gonna be champion forever. And yet you came in, Lord, and you single-handedly, through your son, overthrew him and showed that you have more authority and power than he ever will. And so, God, this morning we come to you in these three areas. Mark chapter 1 highlights spiritual attacks, it highlights physical ailments, and it highlights relational alienation, things that all of us have dealt with at one point or another, or maybe things that we're all dealing with right now. And, God, we need a victory. We ask you for a victory in these areas. Would you help us, God? Would you heal us? Would you reunite us? Would you do what only you can do? Come now and prove your authority yet again in our lives and in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.